It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and welcome to Robert Jobson's Raw Podcast. I'm Robert Jobson, Royal Editor of the London Evening Standard, and for the past 30-odd years I've been spending time with and writing about the British royal family. It's been a fascinating uh, career, really, and it's not over yet, but the fact is you get close to many um, members of the royal family and their people who work for them, and there are an awful lot of both interesting and hilarious stories that don't always get told in the newspapers when we're writing about them. My first series of conversations will be with Scotland Yard's Inspector Ken Wolfe, who uh, was awarded the MVO for his services to the Royalty and Diplomatic Protection Squad, known as SO14. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have known Ken for 25 years, and he was the Royal Protection uh, Officer, not only to Princes William and Harry, but to the late diner Princess of Wales before she got rid of her royalty protection when she decided to quit the royal family for good. This episode is called Good King Harry. Well, that's because um, Princess Diana used to label Harry GKH, Good King Harry, because he would always seem to raise this question of uh, his brother, Prince William, becoming king. And um, many, including Diana, thought that Harry, given his predilection to being uh, quite robust and good at taking orders, would have made a good a good king himself. So it was just a, a, a little uh, nickname that she used to have for him. A very interesting time to be talking about that because Harry, of course, is getting married on May the 19th at St George's Chapel, Windsor. Uh, going, uh, But, of course, both Ken and I have known this young man since he was a small, small lad uh, uh, and always was a bit of a tricky little character. I've in fact written a book uh, about him called Harry's War, which is not just about his time in the army, but his time um, as growing up and the difficulties he's faced uh, as a young lad. Actually, this moment in time is one, I think, of the most interesting in the last three decades. We are really in the autumn, if not the winter, of the second Elizabethan age, Queen Elizabeth II's reign, in transition to the reign of Charles III. And I think really that uh, in terms of its historic importance, you know, it hasn't really been seen for a hundred years or so, not since um, the transition from Victoria's reign to that of Edward the, Edward the Seventh. So it's a very interesting time. We've also got not only an aged queen, we've got uh, an heir to the throne and fully grown up um, heir apparent in Prince William, Prince George, and so we haven't really seen that type of 
um, event, as I say, for over 100 years. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. And find more episodes and additional content on standard.co.uk slash royalpodcast. You can also get in touch with me directly via Twitter, at the Royal Editor. We're here in the offices of the London Evening Standard, only a stone's throw away from Kensington Palace, where Ken spent a lot of his time when he wasn't travelling the world with the princess, um, with the, both the, the both boys and, and Princess Diana at Kensington Palace. So, Ken, welcome. Can you tell me about how you first came into contact with Prince Harry? I think it's when you went to uh, Sandringham House to meet Princess Diana. Well, I, I had some, uh, some great memories. I, I think first meeting I ever had um, with, with Harry and his brother, and let's not forget they were just aged five and three, respectively, at that time. And, uh, you know, I sort of ushered into a, a room at Sandringham House, uh, one of the Queen's residences in Norfolk, um, to be, be introduced to their mother, Diane, and, and uh, shown in by this uh, dutiful uh, butler who introduced me uh, to the Princess uh, Inspector War for your Royal House. And I was rather nervous at the prospect. And um, was this your like interview? My well, it was an interview. I thought it was. And um, and then you know I looked around. and There's William uh, sat at the piano uh, attempting to play it. The noise was pretty dreadful. And um, Harry was stood on a small table, um, destamonizing a vase of royal lilies. And Diana um, just looked up to me and said, "I don't envy you, Ken, looking after my two children. They can be a, a bloody nuisance." And William turned round from the piano stall, and I always likened it to the, the Just William books, you know, I wrecked my Compton. And he turned round and he said, no, we're not a bloody nuisance, are we, Harry? And he said, no, we're not, in just about uh, a language you can understand. And he fell off the table, followed by this, this vase of lilies, and the vase broke. And Diana said, come here, both of you. And then ran away out of this room, and I hadn't said a thing. It's a bit of a madhouse. Well, it was a bit of a madhouse, because what, what entertained me at that point, the butler reappeared um, almost immediately with a cardboard box with a pair of protective gloves and started picking up all the f- fragments of this broken royal vase. And I said to him, I said, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to throw it away? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, no, um, we sent it back to London to get repaired. It should be back within six months. <laughs> <laughs> Could you... Tell me a few stories about, you know, what it was like, you know, with Harry, for example. He was, he could be quite tricky in a fight there, I remember you telling. Um, I, I always remember uh, a story, I mean, what Harry would have been, what, five, no, four, four or five. And we were travelling down to Highgrove one afternoon. Diana was driving, I was in the front seat. And the nanny was in the middle and Harry was being a complete nightmare in the back. I don't know why. Anyway, everyone was telling him to shut up. Nanny was losing a rag, and William was then trying to, to be the good boy. And then Harry says, oh, you can shut up. And we <laughs> nearly stopped the car. And then Harry, out of nowhere, just leant across Nanny and said to William, it's all right, he said, I can do anything because I won't be king, you will be, so therefore I can do what I want. And I remember looking at Diana, and she looked at me, and I thought, God, where did that come from? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, we carried on, and of course, William sort of rather gleefully sort of liked that because it, it's acknowledgement. Well, it's acknowledgement that at least his brother knew that he would be king. I mean, but you know, as children, I mean, it was sort of rather funny. And I suppose really, William was quite jealous in a very happy way with his younger brother's popularity because you know Harry was always the sort of rogue of, of the pair. 
Um, the, the, the guy who I remember when they first went skiing in Lech, uh, never put a pair of skis on in his entire life. And there, had, there wasn't much snow. And uh, so they got the snow machines out and put a bit of snow on the, the nursery slopes. And, um, you know, they were told to follow the instructor, uh, which they did until Harry got bored with this. And then eventually went back up on one of the sort of ski lifts, put his sticks under his arm and just legged it down the snow, ran off the snow into the mud and disappeared in someone's garden at age, age five or whatever it was. And um, But no, he was a character. I mean, and boredom would set in with him occasionally. I mean, my office was right next to the, the nursery. And there was this really open-door policy at Kensington Palace in every sense of the word. And, uh, you know, I was there one morning and Harry knocks on the door. And he said, Ken, I'm bored. And I said, OK. Well, um, he says, can I have a radio to go and do some messaging? So I gave him one of my police radios. And I said, look, if you go up to the, go up to the garage and speak to the chauffeur, pick up the phone, give me a call back, and I'll give you another, another assignment. OK. So off he goes. About five, ten minutes later, the phone goes, the radio goes. I'm in the, I'm, I'm now, I've just done the phone call. I'm going to need another job. I said, yeah, go to the police room by the police post, and I'll let them know, and then you can um, you'll get another job from there. So off he goes. Ten minutes later, the police ring up. I said, oh, you got Prince Harry. I said, yeah, well, just, uh, just a moment. Jane Fellows, Diana's sister, just phoned up something else. I said, well, look, can Harry come down to you? And she lived literally outside of the, 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 the gates. And I always was just outside of the palace. What, by the old barracks? By the old it? barracks, and oh. it was within the sort of CCTV. So I said, look, Harry, go down to Aunt Jane's and, um, you know, have a cup of tea with her and then you come back to me and I'll, the police will follow you. OK. So off he goes. Jane rings up and says, look, he's just arrived. I'll give you a call when he's coming back. Anyway, about 10 minutes later, she says, he's on his way back. And, I, and the police said, he's on his way back. Anyway, he didn't come back. So I called him up. I said, Harry, it's Ken. You receiving me over? And there was this sort of rustle and traffic noise in the background. And then she says, yes, hello. I said, where are you? Just a moment. And he looks up. He said, I'm outside Tower Records. <laughs> and I go, God. That, that would have been a good story for what us to what? get out of, I'll tell you. Well, it would have been, yeah. <laughs> but, curtains for Ken Wolf's career. I don't think I'd ever run so fast in my entire life. <laughs> and I ran past the, uh, the Iranian embassy, and there's this little royal kid with his baseball hat, my radio in a khaki outfit, standing in the middle of Kensington High Street. And nobody cared a bloody difference. Anything. Anyway, we got away with it. Um, but that's life. No, you didn't know anything about it. I'm glad no, you No, lucky the press didn't get hold of that one. I think that would have been a, you know, Harry Goes AWOL. I think it a good story at seven. Thanks very much, Ken. That was an intriguing conversation, and we'll be hearing more from you in the coming episodes. Well, there's a lot of excitement about the forthcoming marriage of Prince Harry, Prince Henry of Wales, as he is officially, to Rachel Meghan Markle, which again is her official name, on the 19th of May at St George's Chapel, Windsor. Well, I've written a uh, a book about this forthcoming wedding called Aptly, The Wedding of Harry and Meghan. And that is available to purchase now. I'm going to do a short reading from it for this episode and do a further couple of readings later in the series. This is The Secret Romance. Conducting a relationship with a celebrity can be complicated business. There are red carpets to negotiate, the ever-present persistent paparazzi snapping away at any minute 
plus all those loaded questions and interviews to talk about. But somehow, one of the most famous and eligible men on the planet managed to keep his relationship secret for nearly half a year before the news broke. Meghan Markle, who starred as paralegal Rachel Zane in the popular television drama Suits, was first rumoured to be dating Prince Harry in October 2016, when reports claimed that they had been seeing each other since July. They had, in fact, met while Harry was promoting the Invictus Games, the event he had launched for disabled military personnel in London, and Meghan shared a picture of herself visiting Buckingham Palace on the 5th of July. She had also been spotted in the Royal Box at Wimbledon Tennis Tournament on the 28th of June and the 4th of July, leading to speculation that she was already well acquainted with Prince Harry's family. As it turned out, both reports were true, because Meghan and Harry had actually started dating long before the news leaked out. As she revealed in the October cover interview with the popular culture and current affairs magazine, Vanity Fair, we were very quietly dating for about six months before it became news, and I was working during that time. In fact, the relationship had moved relatively slowly at first, and the couple had taken every precaution to keep it under wraps. Meghan even had a code name she used for the prince when she was on the set of Suits. It was actually Harry himself who transformed their discreet intimacy into a full-blown public royal romance. Whether it was his intention or not, his statement meant an impassioned demand for their privacy to be respected. It also meant the couple, even more, were under the spotlight and he had confirmed Meghan as his girlfriend and they were serious about each other. It was a bold move. Purporting to be from his press secretary, the unflappable Jason Knauf, it was an unprecedented press release, deeply personal in style, suggesting that it had been dictated by Harry himself. Harry, known for his fiery temperament, pulled no punches. He attacked the excesses of some elements of the press over what he interpreted to be a wave of abuse. He utterly condemned what he described as the racial undertones about Meghan in media reports. It was also clear, in a nod to what happened to his late mother, Diana Princess of Wales, that he feared for the safety of his girlfriend and her family and gallantly wanted to protect them all. Harry believed that a line had been crossed and the excessive reporting of his private life, which he regarded as a gross intrusion. Harry claimed he had never before witnessed such a degree of pressure, scrutiny or harassment from the media. He also complained about a smear on the front page of one newspaper about Miss Markle and that her lawyers were engaged in nightly legal battles to keep defamatory stories out of the papers. Palace sources added that the police had had to be called in after a photographer allegedly barged into the actress's garage in Toronto. He was not naive. Harry knew the media attention would continue, but he wanted to lay down a marker and he wanted people who were lapping up these stories to at least know what he felt about them. The prince was also concerned that the press would consider that any girl he had a relationship with may be the one and would be treated as fair game. That is a very difficult place for any woman to be in and being in a position where he is not able to protect her is a very serious concern to him, a source said. Prince Harry had acted decisively. His two previous serious relationships with Chelsea Davy and Cressida Bonus had faltered under the strain of media attention and he didn't want history to repeat itself. By the middle of 2016, he had been single for a couple of years, although during interviews he had spoken of his desire to settle down and start a family once he found the right woman. 
But the time he calmly sat down with Meghan for their engagement interview 12 months later, he was much more sanguine. When Meghan admitted her experience as Harry's girlfriend had been a learning curve and she did not have any understanding of just what it would be like, Harry jumped in. I tried to warn you as much as possible, but I think both of us were totally surprised by the reaction. I think you can have as many conversations as you want and try and prepare as much as possible, but we were totally unprepared for what would happen after that. You've been listening to Robert Jobson's Raw Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and access more exclusive content at standard.co.uk slash royalpodcast. Until next time, this is Robert Jobson signing off. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.